Hey, Build listeners. My name is Meg Johnson, and I'm a multimedia marketer at OpenView. While we ramp up the next season of Build, over the next few weeks, you can enjoy a new short podcast series we've titled Building to Last. We've connected with people who have built SaaS companies through the limitations and challenges of a crisis and asked their advice on how they would advise CEOs today. By interviewing industry experts at the forefront of this battle, we look to empower founders, CEOs, and SaaS builders to stay strong and take advantage of the changing landscape of tech. And to come through this crisis, not only afloat, but thriving on the other side. Our first episode is hosted by OpenView's in-house expert, George Roberts. He interviews Bill Conroy about how they worked through the Great Recession during their time at Oracle. Here's what they had to say. You know, Bill, you and I have known each other for a long time at Oracle, and and as you know, we several times needed to readjust the business due to crises of our own making, as well as some of the recessions we went through. You were last the CEO of Initiate Systems back in 2008 and 2009, when we had the last recession due to the bubble, the financial bubble and everything. How did, you know, when did you realize when you were the CEO at that time that you needed to adjust the business for the current economic environment you're in? Let's first talk about Initiate just briefly, just what the profile was. So it was a VC-backed software company. We were in master data management. We were spread across some significant industries, mostly healthcare, the intelligence community, and then big financial services companies. And we also had presence in other industries like retail, hospitality, et cetera. So point one is we were spread across a bunch of industries. We were also international. We were about 35% from a revenue perspective international. We had offices in London and Sydney and Singapore. We were about 100 million in revenue and we had about 350 employees and we were about a 50% growth rate. And relative to your question, like 2019, 2007 was a great year. The economy was cranking. The stock market was at an all-time high. I think 30-some VC-backed software companies did IPOs in, in 2007. The valuations were crazy high. Life was good. So we had already talked to bankers in 2007 and decided to go public with Goldman. We wrote the S1 in 2007, and we were planning on going public in the first half of 2008. By late 2007, the whole subprime mortgage thing had started to rear its head. It was in the paper, and the company started to revise for 2008. And forecast negatively. And so we knew there were issues really early in 2008, and, and we were right. And in March, the government actually started to bail out the banks. Uh, the market started to plummet. And then the market eventually fell over 50% in 18 months. So the IPO market went away. Only four VC backed companies did an IPO in 2008. We had to withdraw our filing in June of 2008. There was no M&A market. What M&A market there was was just a bunch of bottom feeding. In 2007, I looked this up yesterday. I was curious. 2007, there was $10 billion in private equity and venture-backed deals. And in 2008, there was $600 million. And the, uh, the tech industry laid, over, laid off well over 100,000 people. So it wasn't Bill being clever and figuring out that something was happening in 2008. We kind of got hit right in the face with it. When that happened, obviously, that's a major shift from what you're planning, right? 
how did you kind of go through the process with your executive team to determine how you adjusted to kind of cope with what the current environment was versus what you expected it was going to be when you planned for 2008 originally, Bill? We really believed that what we sold and who we sold it to could withstand the macroeconomic mess. You know, we really believed we had mission critical software that the markets we were in had to continue to buy. And we had a we had a really cool pricing and bundling model that made us really confident that our that our upsell cross-sell would continue. So I was actually bullish. I actually thought that we could get through the economic downturn. Um, and I didn't want to lower our revenue forecast, but the board was, you know, asking me to, and there was a lot of doom and gloom in the market. So we did revise our, our bookings forecast down by 10%, which was about 40% growth that year. In the end, we still ended up growing 50%. But we definitely revised our, our revenue forecast down. When we did that, we also decided to go break even. We were close to cash flow break, break even in 2007, but 2008, we just decided to do it. And we felt we didn't really have a choice at that point. And so from a headcount perspective, we did reduce headcount by, I can't remember what it was, but it was something less than 10%. We were already, I think, a well-performing company. We had a lot of checks and balances to make sure that, that we coached underperformers out of the company and recognized who our high performers were and did a lot to keep them. We were prepared to you know, identify and let go some of the low performers. We couldn't get to the break-even by just dealing with individual performers. You know, that's hard to do. We had to, we had to deal with expensive people. So we looked at our overall org chart and we rearranged it to something we thought was more efficient. And that did result in reducing the number of senior managers and then expanding the roles of the existing or the left, the, the senior managers that remained. So we also did kind of a of efficiency uh, reorg. So that's what we did. We, I mean, we pretty much decided to go, pro, go to, to be cash flow break even, but not give up on our bookings goals, at least not give up by much and then take corrective action, you know, pretty quickly. When you when you looked at taking the corrective action bill, uh, did you have to take it across, you know, not just sales obviously, but also marketing and customer service and development or were certain of those protected because of what you were doing from a strategic perspective as a company? When we did our planning, we had initiatives that we thought would help us achieve our current year, maybe the next year goals. But we also had money put into initiatives that we probably weren't going to make much revenue on in the next two years. And so we had engineering teams and marketing teams, et cetera, dedicated to kind of long-term growth. And we stopped those. Biggest adjustment from a personnel perspective, we, we took people out of the long-term growth initiatives, refocused them on the short term. And by refocusing them on the short term, we were able to fill the positions that we had to lay off. But no, we didn't, we didn't go to a specific area because I think, you know, we had already kind of balanced lines of businesses. Uh, and I didn't feel there was an imbalance that we had to correct when we made the cuts. Yeah, you and I both know that when things are well, going well, right, or you're able to do some more things that you wouldn't normally do, right? Like you create some initiatives or some things that are for the future, right, that you hope they're going to pay off in 18 or 24 months. So uh, just to kind of restate it, did you use this opportunity to actually bring focus back in and trim trim what the, what the company was doing to make sure you had everything chips on the right numbers and, and colors, right? That's right. Kind of a lean, mean fighting machine. And we did only one cut. We had... 
We did have a lot of contingency plans. The contingency plans were mostly based on bookings. So we had bookings gates that as long as we got through them, we did not have to take additional actions. And we were fortunate that we got through those booking gates. So we were able to do just kind of one cut. And I, I feel like I'm saying that our planning was perfect and that we had 100% confidence, but that's not how it was. We were, we were incredibly disappointed that the IPO had, had fallen apart after putting so much work and expense into the S1. And we were all emotionally pumped that we were going to go public. And, you know, but other software companies were doing massive layoffs and they were lowering their forecast big time. And my board was telling me to plan for the worst. I thought we had a pretty good cash position, but valuations were plummeting in early 2008. And so we did decide to raise around. And I felt when we announced that we were withdrawing the IPO, we, that it would offset it if we said we had also raised around. So we raised a 30-some million dollar round in the middle of 2008. I initially went to the insiders and the insiders were panicked. I mean, at that time, venture capital, uh, you know, they were worried. So the valuations I was able to get inside were not very good. And so I did a strategic round with companies that had expressed an interest in maybe acquiring us or having heavy partnerships with us. So that's who we did the round with. We did the round with uh, Blue Cross, who we had already been partnered with, EMC, who we had a big partnership with, uh, Informatica, and IBM. So we did a, we did a big round, and, and uh, that 30-some million, I never spent a nickel of it. So I really didn't need it in retrospect, but I felt like it was critical, given, given the situation, to have at least a two-year supply of cash, assuming the worst case. And we never hit the worst case. I never spent the money, but I'm glad I raised it. Yeah, um, you mentioned that obviously everybody was pumped about going public and so on. And, and a lot of CEOs are, are facing issues right now with morale, right? Whether they're, they were thinking about going IPO or whether they're just growing and now all of a sudden the whole world's changed. And as you said, there's a lot of, lot of fear out there within the employee ranks and everything else. People are getting laid off. How did you work with your employees to give them some comfort that you were going to be able to weather the storm? And, and how much did you communicate with them in the beginning and, and transparency? That's so important that you, you lock your employees employees down, right? The, the needed ones, the ones that are most important to you. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think that what everybody does is, and I think a lot of companies are doing this now, is their boards and the management team are putting together worst case scenarios. So their budget is a worst case scenario. Minimally, it's a very conservative scenario. And going through that exercise, as you said, George, is demoralizing, you know, because you're painting a picture of this kind of bleak. So I think what you need to do is then put in place bets that rally everybody to beat that worst case or that conservative scenario. And so we put together bets. An example of a bet might be that we can get much higher than budgeted growth in a specific geography, or we can increase our upsell cross-sell in a specific industry. And, you know, bets are rallying. And we created, you know, some monetary benefits and just some recognition around beating the plan. So we went from doom and gloom of a conservative plan to bets that we rallied around to beat that plan. And I think that helped a lot. Um, we also had a, a formal structure to identify the top employees. And a lot of the top employees were motivated by you know, non-money stuff. I mean, they were, they were really motivated by uh, getting different experiences or different education, et cetera. And we really focused on the, the top employees, which was roughly 10% of the population, but they were key people. 
So we really didn't lose anybody. And, and the, the reality in a recession is where are they going to go anyhow? I mean, it's, it's tough to, to move around in a recession. So to us, it was really kind of a nice experience. It was kind of a, a hunker down, let's do this as a team. So it, it, the whole thing was pretty motivating. So kind of the all for one, one for all routine, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, again, it does start with doom and gloom. I mean, just like today, maybe, you know, some people still believe we're not going to go into recession. Maybe some people believe we're going to go into a depression, whatever it might be. It's doom and gloom. And same thing back then. But, but once we got all the planning out of the way, we could really focus on you know, motivating people as opposed to having to deal with worst case scenarios. Super. Did, um, as you mentioned, at that time, lots of companies were, were laying people off. They weren't capitalized properly or they couldn't get capital or whatever. Were you able to selectively upgrade your team at all or was that not a strategy at the time? It wasn't a strategy at the time because we felt we had a really good team. And I think what's key is that, you know, you don't, when you make a cut, you got to do a big, big enough cut that you're not doing a series of cuts, which is really demoralizing. And I think what's also demoralizing is that if you, if you tell your team, this is the team, we can take the hill, and then you bring in or replace people with other people, you're not being really genuine. So I, I felt we had a really good team and we stayed with it. That's phenomenal. You, as you look at that experience back then and in today's world where actually there was no lead time at all, right? All of a sudden, boom, the country shut down, basically. Um, how have you been able to leverage your experience and kind of coach the CEOs you work with as an independent board member around, you know, executing and adjusting and, and doing it on, frankly, a timely basis, right? Because there wasn't any, any warning. There wasn't any lead up to this. Boom, all of a sudden, we're, in the, we're in, the, in the water together, right? Like you said at the beginning, George, there's some big differences between, you know, 2008 and the pandemic stuff. And the, I don't think that at that time, the Great Recession, as they call it, was as global as this is. I mean, my goodness, this pandemic is affecting the economy internationally much bigger than I think even the Great Recession did. And then, you know, the inability for people to be mobile physically is, is just uh, incredibly different. But I, I do think people should assume that like 2008, there is no IPO market. Valuations are going to come plummeting down. Money's going to get a lot harder to get. And I think everybody needs to have a two-year survival plan. So I, I've been telling everybody, you know, don't think you need enough cash just for 2020. I think you need to go all the way through 2021. You know, the, the recession in 2008 lasted a, a solid two years. And then you could argue that it lasted longer than that as internationally, remember Greece and Portugal and Spain and everything else happened. I think the first thing I would say is get a two-year survival plan and be very realistic about you know, what you sell and who you sell it to. Right. You know, do you really have mission critical software? Do people still have to buy your solution? And do you have a bundling and pricing strategy where you're gonna continue to be able to upsell and cross-sell? And if it is mission critical, I would not back off too far. I would be confident that you can still grow, maybe a little bit less, but you can still grow and that your weaker competitors might fall to the wayside during this recession. And so stay after them, you know, stay after your competition and try to leapfrog them and get a big bounce once you come out on the other side of, of this mess. And if you're not mission critical, then you need to get profitable now. 
and quickly get creative on how to keep your customer base and survive. If you're not mission critical, you should be in survival mode. And by far, you should focus on your customer base. And you might even want to assume that your bookings are zero or close to zero and circle the wagons around those customers. And I've got some companies now that as an example, if, if a customer can't pay, they're giving them, you know, let's say two or three months of leniency in terms of the payments, but they're adding that back on to their renewal date. So you got to get really creative and survive by focusing on your customer base. You know, SaaS companies are, are really resilient. You got to be uh, realistic about, you know, is your software really a need to have or is it a nice to have? Actually, doesn't that, even if it's a need to have versus a nice to have, it's still important to have some flexibility for some clients that are in more difficult times based on what's going on, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think everybody's got to get really creative and, you know, recognize as human beings, we're all in this together. And if a customer calls and they have a specific issue, you're just going to have to get creative about it. But again, if you have mission critical software and they have a need, let me give you an example. And today in transportation logistics is critical. We have to know where in the supply chain products are. And so if you sell a logistics solution today to trucking or shipping or whatever it might be, companies are going to have to buy that software and they're going to have to continue to upsell, cross-sell it. That doesn't mean they're not going to be in trouble and you, and you have, can't give them some grace or some, something to help out their situation. But I would not back off. I'd still continue to sell as, as hard as you can. Yeah, you mentioned something that a few minutes ago that we did a lot right at Oracle through some of the difficult times and, and you've done before to initiate systems, which is is going into these situations are an opportunity not just to refocus the company on the things that really matter and trim and align and everything, but also an opportunity to come out the other side stronger than your competition, right? If you do the right things, whether it's product investment, whether it's sales investment, whether it's taking care of the customers, you can potentially come out of this in a stronger position than your competition with more market share and, and able to actually take off uh, back on a significant growth trajectory. How do you think about that? And how do you do that? Or how did you do it before? And how is how are you coaching your CEOs on that now? I think there there is an opportunity to do roll-ups now. And I think a lot of people are looking at those because, you know, in 2000, last year, it was pretty easy to get funded. And once you become a market leader, you're usually worried about people nipping at your heels and I would just destroy those natural companies, either, either by outselling them or buying them or whatever it might be, because it's going to be really hard for those smaller companies to raise anything other than bridge rounds, et cetera, with their, with their existing investors. So, you know, if you think about a market in a recession and you're a customer, do you really want to buy from a small company that you know may not have from an obvious perspective enough cash to survive and so they're gonna they're gonna go to the larger more powerful companies and if you are one of those smaller companies that's maybe a disruptor that's why i mentioned you just simply have to focus on your customer base and recognize that it's going to be very difficult to increase your bookings you know by any significant percentage so you know it depends on who you are if you're a smaller disruptor or you're a leader already but the leaders are certainly going to be in a better position to monopolize in the industries that they're they're strongest in
As you coach your CEOs now, how have they been as far as understanding the situation they're in and, and understanding that now's the time to be flexible and adaptable, right? And, and might adjust your pricing model. You might adjust your product focus. You might adjust some of your distribution focus or go to market strategy. How are they being as far as understanding and, and accepting that, hey, the world's changed. And like you said, it's probably going to be changed for a good two years at least. And we need to adapt to take advantage of that change and come out of this. The biggest thing I'm dealing with now is getting the CEOs who have had really good growth the last couple of years, and yet they're out of cash, recognize that valuations are already down. And a lot of these CEOs believe that because they've had great growth and you know are forecasting to still have good growth in 2020, that investors should have a valuation that is similar to last year. And it's not going to be anywhere close to last year. And so you got to swallow your pride and get that cash in the door because it's going to be, it's going to get worse, not better. And, you know, the ego thing in terms of accepting the lower valuations has been my biggest challenge where people maybe just want to take a little bit that gets them through the next 12 months and I just think that's a real mistake. I think now is the time, you know, despite the additional dilution, to make sure you got enough cash uh, for two years. So that's been my biggest uh, challenge. The second biggest, which won't surprise you, George, is people don't want to cut enough right now. Organizations, when you have multiple layoffs, that's, that's the most demoralizing thing you can do. And so you got to cut and you got to cut deep. And then the last one is this mix between profitability and growth. People still want to focus on growth. And I, I think SaaS companies can continue to grow during a recession. But you boy, you got to take some big strides toward cash flow break even. And that might mean that you're reducing your growth. And immediately CEOs believe that, well, if I reduce my growth, I'm going to reduce my valuation. But I think that the equation that dictates valuation is going to move much more toward profitability over the next two years. So I'm not sure that assumption is true. You, they got to take some big pride, big strides toward cutting their burn. Right, which is really, as you said, it, it's growth. Growth can get you there, but not just growth alone, right? To get it to get to cash flow break even or profitable, you've got to bring your, your expense line under control also in addition to your growth line. That's right. If you look back at the 2008-2009 timeframe, all public SaaS companies as well as private took big strides toward profitability and they cut their growth significantly. I think the average growth rates in 2007 were around 40%. For SaaS companies, and in 2008, 2009, that went all the way down to 10 or 20 percent. And then, when the bull market came back in 2010, you saw the growth rates go right back up. And in, in many cases, the burn also increased. So you can, you know, once this recession is over, if you want to stress growth and you believe that growth is the best way toward a, a great valuation, well, then you can go after growth again. But you cannot stress growth over cash in during a recessionary time. Get additional bookings and, and revenue in a recession is much more expensive than it is in good times. And you just have to adjust accordingly. Right. And the emphasis is to, to live to, you know, to fight another day, right? To make sure you've got enough capital, to make sure you've got the right expense and growth plan in place to get through this. You can come out of it and, and, and take off again like you were before this situation happened. That's right. That's why I keep going to really understanding and being being true to yourself in terms of how important is your software. 
And do you really have a leadership position in the markets you serve? If you do, a recession is a great time to kick ass and to be, become even more of a leader within those industries. If you don't and you sell nice to have software, you got to circle the wagons around your a customer base and just survive it. Anything, Bill, that we've missed in our discussion today that, that you would you know, say to a, a CEO trying to manage through the current situation? Just kind of get used to the fact that this thing is going to be a while. It's not going to be a, a short thing. Now, maybe I'm wrong. I'm certainly not some economist, but I can't, I can't really see a scenario where this isn't going to last a couple of years. So just dig in and it is what it is and you know, plan accordingly. The second is be optimistic. I mean, SaaS business models are very resilient. They're not bulletproof, but well-performing companies can excel regardless of the economic climate. And regardless of what you sell and who you sell it to, you have a, an opportunity to, to learn from the markets and come out at the, at the end of this, out of this mess with a much more efficient organization. And so, you know, just, just use this opportunity to create a company that's a heck of a lot better and more efficient than it was before this thing started. Yeah, you know, it's, I hate to say this is somewhat of a blessing, but as far as an opportunity for companies that, that are leaders in their marketplace to really take control and tune and execute and then really take their markets by storm coming out of this, it's an opportunity that they should all take advantage of if they have it, right? Yeah, absolutely. And there's so many examples. If you look back at 2008, you know, Salesforce at the end of that recession was dominant. I mean, they used their position to just squash everybody and they came out at the end of that. And I know that's a larger company than the, than the portfolio companies we're probably speaking to, but I think the analogy is there. So there, there's good news in recessions also. Right, right. Super. Any, anything else, Bill, before we let you get back to your, uh, your daily routine as you shelter at home? No, George. Greetings from my quarantine to yours. It was nice talking to you. <laughs> I will see you in May, my friend, all right? <laughs> all right. Take care, buddy. Bye-bye, Bill. Thanks for listening to Building to Last, a short podcast series hosted by OpenView Venture Partners. If you like what you've heard, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to Build for more insights on product-led growth. And if you're building a B2B SaaS company and would like to talk strategy or fundraising, OpenView can help. Please reach out via email to hello at ov.vc. Take care, everyone.